0: Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to look into your word. Your word is so true. Your word is anointed. Your word is sharper than any two edged sword. Your word, O oh Lord, is light for our path. Your word, O oh God, is food for our spiritual man. It's instruction, Lord, it's encouragement. There's so much that can happen, so much potential today when we open your word and read from its pages. I pray right now, O Lord, that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. There was men of the tribe of Issachar that the Bible said they knew the times and they knew what Israel should do. I think we need more than ever right now some men of the Issachar that, Uh, know the times that we're living in and know the things that we need to do. These are perilous times as we spoke last Sunday. Perilous means dangerous times. There's 120 wars that are going on on the globe right now and probably many more we don't know about. There's pestilence everywhere. There's a terrible plague that is on this country that's uh, killed billions of people in the world it's a it's a very difficult time that we're living in and if we're not very careful we'll succumb to a spirit of fear and the bible says god hath not given us a spirit of fear fear is a spirit then right it's a it's a spirit in fact the bible tells us that spirit of fear can come upon people and and cause them to their hearts to fail them they can become physically sick because of something spiritual in fact the bible said in the last days men's heart would fail them for fear of what is coming upon the world but i want to tell you god doesn't want you to be fearful and frightened god wants you to be confident and to be assured that he is in control you need to know right now that god is in control Well, Pastor, I don't know how you can say that with all that's going on in the world that's so frustrating and so confusing. How could God be involved in all of this? The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro in the earth. That God is not unaware of what's going on right now. In fact, He told prophets years ago that this time would come and you can take those prophetic Uh, utterances and you can take the newspaper and read almost simultaneously in both of them and even the most critical and skeptic of all uh, expositors and interpreters of the bible will have to admit that these are unprecedented times and the bible tells us these times would come and when it does come he said don't be frightened and don't be afraid lift up your head and rejoice Because your redemption draweth nigh. God is in control, and God has a purpose. Now, that verse that we all love so much, and we quote it probably as much as any other verse in the Bible, is Romans 8 and 28. And it says, All things, all things, good things, bad things, happy things, sad things, all things work together. I, I preach from that verse sometimes and talk about the chemistry of the uh, of the event that God and, and it is it isn't that that uh, things it's God and the correct rendering is God causes all things to work together for good to them that love the Lord who are the called according to His eternal purpose which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began I sometimes hear folks sing, when he was on the cross I was on his mind well I want to tell you you were on his mind long before the cross before the world began before he waved his hand and filled the heavens with stars before he took his finger and dropped the boundary lines of the oceans and the seas before he ever uttered the words let there be light you were on his mind and God knew about you before the world began wow in fact I'm going to read a a passage right here that lets us know that God knows us when we weren't even formed or shaped listen to it in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11 Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints. Now, brother, you would think that the Apostle Paul would uh, really feel a a lot of, of himself, that he accomplished a lot of things. But in his own description, he said, I am less than the least of all saints. How can someone who wrote over half of the New Testament, how can someone who is called the architect of the church, How can someone who is called the Aristotle of the first century, how can that person say, I am less than the least of all saints? To me, who is the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intention that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed In Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're going to preach today about this mysterion, which is the mystery. The Bible said, great is the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery. And the Bible says that in these last days, God hath chosen to reveal this mystery, to unravel some of the Uh, hidden truths and the hidden things that Paul called unsearchable riches of the glorious gospel. You see, to believe that there is an uh, end-time reward, that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, there is a judgment for us to make preparation for, there is uh, great attention that should be given to the fact that one day this whole world is going to be changed. I listened this last week to a uh, very educational uh, presentation about uh, volcanoes, super volcanoes, and what they do to the earth uh, when one erupts and it puts the earth into darkness and it puts uh, our water systems into uh, turmoil. It's, it's just a terrible, terrible thing. And, and they say, we know it's going to happen, we just need to know when but i want to tell you the bible said when you hear about earthquakes and when you hear about disasters and catastrophic things that take millions of people's life in one event in fact the bible tells us in the book of revelation that at one time the whole one-third of the earth's population will die by some terrible catastrophic uh, event. So. Don't be so attached to this world. The Bible said, heaven and earth shall pass away. The cars we drive, the houses we live in, the streets we walk on, all of that one day will pass away. But he that does the will of God abideth forever and forever. Can you say amen to that? In other words, this old world is going to shake and tremble and fall apart, but those people that are devout in their faithfulness to God, they will endure forever. Praise God. That's shouting material, isn't it? To know that God has so purposed that none of that wrath and none of that evil shall befall the people of God, that it's in God's purpose to plan a way of escape. The Bible said that sudden destruction would come upon people that they would believe a lie. And the the Bible said, and they shall not escape. You see, God has given to us the security and the safety of being in Christ. Our lives, the Bible said, is hid with God in Christ. That we are protected by the blood of the Lord Jesus. That we are surrounded by the angels that are guarding our safety. There's a hedge of protection that is about us that the Lord has provided lest any evil should come nigh our dwelling. That in all things we are made to be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Now, it's true the great tribulation is going to be a terrible time of wrath. Terrible time. The, the whole tribulation period, that whole ordeal is about the day of Jacob's trouble it's about God's dealing with Israel but it's not just a a regional uh, Mesopotamian thing it's not just a a Mediterranean Sea kind of thing it the Bible says it would reach all over the world in fact the Bible said in uh, 2nd Thessalonians 2 and 6 that only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way Notice those words, taken out of the way. The one thing that is holding this world together right now is the righteous people that are on this earth. The people of God are the salt, and the people of God are the light that's maintaining what uh, little there is right now. And after they are gone, after they are gone, this world begin, will begin to rot and come, come apart. You see... There are people who believe that the church will go through the entire 84 months of the tribulation period, seven years of the tribulation period. There are others who believe the church will be raptured in the middle of the week or in 42 months of the tribulation period. There are others, hallelujah, and I'm one of these, that believes that the true church will be raptured and caught up to meet the Lord in the air before the tribulation period, uh, I believe that for several reasons. One is that the Philadelphian age is the day of the open door. It's the day of uh, of the gospel being preached. It's the the day of opportunity to to receive the Lord Jesus, and that that will remain that way until the last Jewish soul comes to Christ, when the last Gentile soul comes to. Christ, then the Bible said that that end would come. It would come. Now, in Revelation 3 and 10, Jesus revealed to John on the Isle of Patmos these words, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep you from that hour of temptation that shall come upon all the world all them that dwell upon the face of the earth who received not the love of the truth that they might be saved then who is the tribulation period for it's for those who received not the love of the truth that they might be saved am i preaching to save people this morning am i preaching to people who have received the love of the truth am i preaching to people that has had that relationship with the lord jesus well then I'm telling you the tribulation period is not for you it's not for you 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9 because thou hast kept the word of my patience I also will keep you from that hour of temptation that shall come upon all the world not just the region but upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the face of the earth hallelujah In Isaiah 20 and 26, the Bible said, come my people. Has God still got some people? Is God going to have a people? Is God going to have people that are faithful and true that will remain devout and will remain faithful to him? Come my people and enter into thy chamber and shut the door. Who said I am the door? Jesus, he said, I am the door, and if any man shall enter in by me, he shall be saved. Come, my people, enter into thy chamber and shut the door about you while the Lord comes out of his place for a moment and a season to punish the inhabitants of the earth. Then, folks, the tribulation period is not not for us. Not for us. For God, First Thessalonians 5 and 9, for God hath not appointed us. It's not in His purpose. It's not in His plan. It's not in, not in His posterior. It's, it's not in His, His mysterion. It's not in His mystery. It's, it's not in uh, all of those things. It is in the purpose of God that you shut the door about you and receive protection from the wrath which is to come. And it can't happen until you're gone. Only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. Then, when is then? When we're taken out of the way. Then shall that wicked, speaking of the Antichrist, then shall that wicked be revealed whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power. Praise God, I know that we won't be here when that happens. Because for any antichrist to arise with all power, then God's people have got to be gone. Because Jesus said in Acts 1 and 8, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen. Amen. God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you and if I go away I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am you can be also and that's in the plan and the eternal plan of the Lord Jesus according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Jesus. Everything flows through Jesus. Everything that God has for us, it flows through Jesus. Redemption, healing, everything, it comes through Jesus. According to that eternal purpose, he has saved us, washed us in his blood and made us a part of his family. When I book up the book of Ephesians and look at it, I'm attracted to the word that he uses for eternal purpose. The word is prothesis, prothesis. And that word is the word that is used for showbread. Wow. The same word for purpose, eternal purpose, is used for showbread in the tabernacle, in the temple worship. You remember of all the furniture that was there, there was a, a table where the word was rightly divided, or the sacrifice was rightly divided with the sacrificial knife, knife of the offering. There is a golden laver there through which the priest would go and wash himself. There was the table of the showbread, and there were 12 pieces of the showbread six on one side and six on the other side, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And so when Paul is describing this to the Ephesians, he is saying that showbread is placed on the table that it might be seen. It's a, it's a visual thing. It's put that way purposely so that you'll be reminded that these 12 tribes are the people that are connected to the promise of God, the blessing of God. These are the descendants of Abraham, which God made a covenant with. And God said to Abraham, Wheresoever you set your foot, I will give it to you. He said to Abraham, he said, All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. He said to your descendants... I will be a blessing, not a cursing. I will be a blessing to all of your descendants, all of your sons, all of your daughters. I will be a blessing. I will bless them that that love you. I will bless them that bless you. I will curse them that hate you. Your enemies will be my enemies, God said, because I have this covenant with you. So when that priest would come into the holy place, Before he could go into the Holy of Holies, he had to go through these processes. He first had to go over into the golden laver and wash and cleanse himself. You know, a a lot of folks miss that. You see, when God saves somebody, Susan, he not only expects them to accept what he has done, but then they need to participate with him in doing something. There needs to be a response on their part. What is that, Pastor? It means follow through with the cleansing. Follow through with the cleansing. Now that's old-time preaching right there. That's, a, that's that sanctification model that uh, we used to preach about, but don't preach about it much anymore. But I want to tell you, sanctification, the Bible said, for this is the very will of God, even your sanctification. Amen. And the Bible said, Jesus prayed and said, Father, sanctify them that they may be one even as you and I are one. So then the sanctification is an experience with God that you participate with Him in the fact of you becoming a new creature in Christ Jesus. You just don't walk like you used to walk and you don't act like you used to act and you don't talk like you used to talk. And there's not any filthiness and there's not any of those worldly and fleshly ambitions and desires that don't, don't please God. You've gone about the process of maturity. You've gone about the, the process of eliminating everything that is not, not righteous and not godly out of your life. And that's a noble venture. It's a good thing that people get sanctified. I believe in sanctification. I believe it like John Wesley believed it. He believed it's a second definite work of grace. In other words, he he believed there was a salvation experience and then there was a sanctification experience. Amen. And then there was a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Our old timers used to testify and they'd say, I'm glad I'm saved, sanctified, and full of the Holy Ghost. And about every one of them would say that. In testimony, sir, saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, blessed be God. That just thrills me to say that again. Hadn't heard it in so long. It just kind of makes me feel good to say it again. But that's the way we used to believe, and that's the way we used to preach. And when someone did something unchristian-like, we'd say, he just came unsanctified. Had a guy say one time, I'll just lay my sanctification down for a few minutes and solve this problem. Well, sanctification is not something you pick up and lay down. It's not something that you use like a handle on a jug. No, sanctification is an experience with God. It's a sign of maturity, of growing and and, uh, becoming stronger, more experienced in in the things of God. In Romans 9 and 11... Paul said to the Romans, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Is there anybody here that heard the call? The Bible says it's a holy calling, a holy calling, when God allowed your heart to be convicted of sin and you felt the need to repent and to come to God. Amen. And that's something that is so essential is conviction. Unless you have conviction, you won't get saved. Unless the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin... The Bible said, no man calleth Jesus Lord but by the Holy Spirit. That no man has this opportunity to know God and walk with God and experience his goodness and his favor, but by the invitation of the Holy Spirit. God, I believe, is calling the church today for us to draw closer to him and for us to lay aside every weight that doth so easily beset us. The Bible said, wherefore having these promises, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, wherefore having these promises, dearly beloved, who is he writing to? Church, church people, saved people, saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled people. Dearly beloved, knowing these promises of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where God said, I will walk in them, I'll dwell in them, I'll be their God, and they will be my people, I'll be a father unto them, and they will be my children. Having those promises that God's going to go with you, that God's going to supply your need, let us cleanse ourselves. You see, that priest had to go to the golden laver, and he had to, Brother Bobby, wash himself. It wasn't something that was done for him. He had to do it himself. Yes, Jesus paid it all. Yes, Jesus shed his blood for the sins of the whole world forever. Yes, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Yes, but God expects you. To walk in the light as he is in the light. And as we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And then the blood of Jesus cleanses. And that verb is imperfect. That means continuous action. Listen to how it reads. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, keeps on cleansing us from all sin. Glory to God. If any man sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, what that means is you participate with God. He's got the power. He's got the ability. He's already provided the redemption. All you got to do is cooperate with him. And be a vessel that he can work through. And present yourself yielded and submitted to him. And let him do for you what no other power can do. It's part of God's promise. It's part of his plan and purpose that you be saved that way. He predetermined that before the world began. In fact, the Bible said it was determined before the world began that Jesus Christ should die on the cross for the sins of the world wow that jesus should die on the cross for you hebrews chapter one verse one and two god who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past to the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. You mean the same God that made the worlds? It's the God that determined that salvation by grace through faith is the accepted means of getting in right relationship with God. Predetermined, foreordained, So someone that comes along now telling me about all of these gods that are worshipped around the world are the same one. God said, Thou shalt have no other. Somebody say no other. Thou shalt have no other gods beside me. God said, I won't put up with polytheism. That means many gods. The Bible said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. God has put this thing down in such a way as part of his, his plan and His purpose through the ages has everything to do with what Jesus did at Calvary's cross. Boy, that's good stuff. So salvation wasn't just dreamt up by someone. It was God's prothesis. something that is exhibited now if you blend that same word for the showbread is the same word that is eternal purpose now why did he use the same word for showbread that he used for God's eternal purpose because it is something that God has put on display with reference to the promise and the covenant of God with Abraham for you see the church This is real controversial. The church has become God's people in these last days, much as Israel in the Old Testament was God's people in the OT. Amen. In fact, was it Paul, Don, that said we are the wild olive branch that was grafted into the original vine? His original people was the... Israelites, the children of Israel, and we who are Gentiles weren't included in that. But because of God's predetermined purpose, eternal purpose, he says to us, I'm going to include you. I'm going to get you grafted into this original tree, this original olive branch. And you felt they were doing those for rewards at uh, the Olympics. What that olive branch is, is when there's something between you and another, extending the olive branch is making the first move to say, I want to have peace with you. I want our relationship to be healed. I want our, our estrangement from one another. and Whatever broke us apart and whatever came between us, I want that gone. And here's the olive branch. And I want to graft it back to yours. And I want you and I to be one again. I'm about to shout. Because you see in the Garden of Eden, God had something planned that he wanted to be eternal. But because of sin, because of sin, the Bible said your sins have separated you and God. And the Bible says in Romans, if when we were enemies, we not only were estranged, we were enemies. For if when we were enemies, God sent His Son, God sent the olive branch in the person of the Lord Jesus and extended it to us and said, I don't want us to have this chasm between us anymore. I don't want you to be estranged from me anymore. Here, here's the method. Here's the way. And we can be restored to fellowship and we can walk in oneness again. We can walk in fellowship. Here's the olive branch And we'll graft it into this original vine. I'm so glad he did that, aren't you? I'm so glad that he broadened the perspective and and included every one of us. The purpose of God is in, in redemption. He's put redemption on display. Jesus, the Bible said, if he could be lifted up, he's that showbread He's the very image of the invisible God. He is the very image of what God wants to do in our heart and in our life. And the Bible said, if Jesus is lifted up where he can be seen, if the showbread can be lifted up in such a way that he can be seen, then the, all who see and believe, will know the message of the olive branch because that's knowing who Jesus is and knowing what Jesus does. When Moses walked out in the midst of those children of Israel that were dying from snake bite, do you remember when you were snake bit? You actually died from snake bite. Pastor... I won't get close enough to a snake to bite me. i run as hard as I can when I see one. Well, let me tell you, we all died from a snake bite. Ephesians chapter 2 starts out how, Jerry? You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sin. What killed us? A slimy serpent slithered his way into the Garden of Eden and lied and told people, don't believe the Word of God. God has an ulterior motive. He's trying to trick you. He wants to just keep you under His thumb. He knows that the day that you eat of that fruit, you'll become a God also, and He won't uh, be able to rule over you anymore. And did you believe that Eve took that look, hook, line, and sinker? And before we lay it all on Eve, you got to go back to Adam. Adam was not made for Eve. Eve was made for Adam. Amen. So he got the tables switched. And he listened to Eve, and it sounded like we might ought to take a chance on this. And next thing you know, God comes down, and Adam is hid, and he's taken some fig leaves and sewed them together to hide his nakedness. And God calls for him, where are you, Adam? Where are you? And he said, I'm hid. And he said, why are you hid? He said, because I'm naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? And the first signal of redemption begins to flash. The red light of salvation and redemption. Because the Bible then says that God took animal skins and sewed them together to make clothes for Adam and Eve. That's the first mention of blood being shed to cover the sins of man. Whew. That's the first mention. It's called the proto-evangelium. And it's called the rite of first mention. And that carries through the whole redemptive process. God wants us to know him, and he uses the Lord Jesus to show us. For you see, the Bible said there's two adams. The Bible said the first Adam was made a living soul. The second Adam was made a quickening spirit. The first man, Adam, the first Adam is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly I was born into flesh and blood like Adam but I received what Jesus did for me spiritually and I accepted his shed blood as payment in full for the sin in my life and what I lost in Adam what I was disappointed in in Adam what I lost favor because of Adam I recovered in the person of the Lord Jesus. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Whoo! The first Adam killed us. The second Adam resurrected us. The first Adam breached our covenant. The second Adam mended our covenant. Whoo, somebody ought to be in the aisle. Glory to God. Are you kidding me that Jesus did all of that for us? And Jesus said, if I'll be lifted up from the earth, I will draw people like a magnet. I'll draw people to me. Brother, the greatest thing Harvest can do today is to start exalting Jesus and lifting up Jesus and praising Jesus and giving glory to Jesus and lifting Him up and exalting Him on high. Oh, come and magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. You see, there is peace to be gained when you lift up Jesus There's victory to be won when you lift up Jesus. There is sorrow that can turn into joy when you lift up Jesus. There is sickness that can be healed when you look to Jesus. There are problems that can be solved when you look to Jesus. There are rivers that you can cross when you look to Jesus. He's a way maker. He's a light giver. He's a God who is done so very much for his people, shed his blood. Lily of the valley, bright and morning star, all of those wonderful expressions refer to God's redemptive provision for us. Hebrews 10 and 4. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. Well, pastor, you told me about a day of atonement and a day of purification when every Jewish person brings his sacrifice to the temple and the priest takes his sacrifice and goes back into the temple and sheds its blood, drains it of all of its blood, and then takes that sacrifice and attaches it to the altar And offers it up so that conviction can be cured. Oh, boy. How can I get this old convicting spirit off of me, Brother Jerry? The only way I know to get it off of you is repent. And be converted that your sins may be blotted out. For it was not possible that the blood of goats and bulls should take away sin. They indulged it and covered it up, but they couldn't take it away. I said they hid it from view. They swept it under the rug. They dealt with it in the only way that you can, fleshly and according to the law. Verse 5, Because it was not possible that goats and bulls could do it, wherefore when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body Hast thou prepared for me? Glory to God. What goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could not do, God did in the person of Jesus. For you know that you were not born again of corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus, the spotless lamb, the innocent representative of God's love and grace to every one of us. Verse 6, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. In other words, God said, I was just waiting on introducing to you the greater way of salvation. I, I, I tolerated the offering of animals. I tolerated that, but it wasn't what I really wanted because that was a temporary It was an intern kind of a thing that these goats and bulls took the place of the real sacrifice. God said he had no pleasure in that burnt offerings and sacrifices. Verse 7, Then said I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God, above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Verse 9, then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God, and he taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. In other words, he took away the ritual and the ceremony of the law. He took away that form of indulgence that they had been involved in since the days of Moses in the tabernacle in the wilderness. And God said, I never did have pleasure in that. I always had a better way. And he said, God took that away so that he could introduce the better. Somebody say better. Better. The better. The one that would really work. Lo, I come to do thy will. He taketh away the first. Why did he take away the first? That he may establish the second. So that he could... Help people get it right and receive the Lord Jesus. Verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified, there's that word again, through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Somebody say once for all. Once for all. Once for all. Once for everybody. Once for all time. There will never be... Another Calvary. You know why there won't be another Calvary? Because there will never be a need for another sacrifice for sin. God doesn't have a better way than Jesus. God doesn't have an alternate plan. God doesn't have a substitute amendment. He says this is the way it is. It's how I planned it from the beginning of the world and he said it's still true today. That through blood of Jesus Christ you can be washed and cleansed and made a new creature in Christ Jesus. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never somebody say never. Which can never Take away sin. Verse 12, but this man. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by one offering, once for all, he offered himself for the sins of the whole world. In 1 Peter 1, verse 18, For as much as you know that you weren't redeemed with corruptible things silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers but by the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained somebody say foreordained that Jesus should die for the sins of the world was foreordained before the foundation of the world are you seeing that foreordained purpose, plan of God. It was foreordained that Jesus would die for the sins of the whole world. It was manifest in these last times for you. Wow. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and your hope might be in God John will refer to it in the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation verse 8 Christ the Lord was the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world the purpose of God in redemption the purpose of God in time when our first parents were placed in paradise they disobeyed the mandate of God but did God forfeit his plan No. Did the purpose of God fail? No. In fact, God knew all about that when it happened. There in that garden was the first sacrifice, the blood of that innocent animal. Let me hurry. Come on, Melissa. Maybe they'll think I'm quitting. You see, when they drove them out of paradise, the Lord put a gate. He put a gate at the entranceway to paradise. And the Bible said He put a cherubim there. A cherubim is a place of welcome. In other words, God said, I've got to send you away. I've got to get you out of the garden, but I'm going to place the welcome mat there, and I'm going to put the cherubim there, and oh yes, I'm going to put an altar there. God put a welcome home sign, and then He put an altar there. Some through the fire, some through the flood, some through great tribulation, but all through the blood. All through the blood. That welcome mat was put out by God, and it said, "Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest." It said, "All ye that are athirst, come and drink of the fountain of the water of life freely." God's got that welcome mat today in that same place, saying. I had to drive you out, but here's how you can get back. Here's how you can be reconciled. Here's how we can make this thing work. Here's how we can go about this. Oh, that's so good. Ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The purpose of God in redemption didn't fail. You know, in Revelation, I'll preach this next Sunday. In Revelation... 7 I believe it is it's verse 12 and the Bible says in verse 1 and 2 that I looked into heaven chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 I looked into heaven and he said I saw a woman women you ought to holler amen cause y'all are going to be there women I saw a woman, and she was standing in the sun. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman. Well, John, why was it such a wonder that there's a woman in heaven? A wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head there was a crown of twelve stars next verse and she being with child cried travailing in birth and pained to be delivered next verse and there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold there was a great dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. That woman represents Israel. For 400 years after Malachi, there was no message from God. There was no word. There was no prophetic utterance. And one day, a teenage girl was at a well in Nazareth. And an angel named Gabriel appeared to her and said, You're highly favored among women. And he said, Because you're going to have a child. And he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And he will make the covenant a reality. She said, how can this be? I've never known a man. He said, that holy thing which is in thee is of the Holy Ghost. Israel. Waited for years and years, centuries and centuries, for their Messiah to come. Waiting for the anointed one, waiting for the promise of God because Isaiah had prophesied and said, Unto us a child is given unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders of his kingdom and his increase there shall be no end and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father and the prince of peace Israel waited and waited and waited and unfortunately 2,000 years later they're still waiting still waiting but the Bible said there was a man child involved in that typology that man child is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ the one that will rule the world the one that will reign forever and forever The dragon, I'll quickly go through this. We'll explore it some more next Sunday. The dragon, the Bible said, has stars and all these things about him, but he is none other than Lucifer himself. He says that he led a revolt of a third of heaven and angels, the Bible said, that aligned themselves with him. They were cast down. The Bible says... In First Peter that they're reserved in chains of darkness waiting for judgment to be judged by God. And if God spared not the angels who sinned but cast them down to hell Lucifer led them in a revolt that brought them into captivity. And that same Lucifer is standing today trying to kill the child trying to kill the man child. Everything God does, Lucifer is opposed to it. Everything that God, every effort that he makes to change things for the good, Satan is there to oppose it. And I want to tell you, he is your enemy. He is your adversary. He is plotting right now to destroy you. He is right now scheming and coming up with uh, devices that he can use to cause you to fail God and cause you to miss realizing what God wants you to be. These right there. If the devil, he tried his best to kill Jesus when he was a baby. The Bible said Herod Antipas killed all the male babies in an attempt to kill the baby. He used the strong conquering Roman government to put that baby when it grew up on a cross. And he was crucified and died for the sins of the whole world. Satan thought he'd finally done it. Finally done it. But I want to tell you, upon the first day of the week, about the dawning of the day, Satan came a-calling, and he said, Oh, death, have you still got Jesus? Oh, brave, have you still got Jesus? And both of them cried and said, no. He broke the bonds. He broke the fetters. He arose from death, rolled the stone away, and he is risen indeed. And because he lives, all of us can live too. Because he is risen from the dead. We have a gospel to preach. We have unsearchable riches of a glorious gospel that can change people's lives. But now that dragon is trying his best to kill the church. Because who are we? We represent the man-child. We represent the man-child. We represent Jesus. We are ambassadors for Christ. Every one of you in this room, you're an ambassador for Christ. Are you ready to shout a little bit? Thinking shout, I know you're kind of docile, but think you could shout about something this morning? I'm going to give you something to shout about. Ambassadors for Christ. Even as God, for Christ's sake, we beseech you, be ye therefore reconciled unto God, now that we are become ambassadors. You know what? The first thing that happens when war and turmoil is about to happen, war is about to be declared, you know the first thing they do? They call home all their ambassadors. One of these ordinary days, just like this day, a trumpet's going to sound and the Lord, hallelujah, will appear and all of the ambassadors are going to be called home because this world is not going to be a fit place for ambassadors of Christ to be. And God has provided a great eternal purpose where every one of us can go to be in the presence of God. Hallelujah, that where he is, we can be also. How blessed is that thought. So then, nothing ever comes along that surprises God. This pandemic didn't slip up on God, Cindy. It's not something that took him by surprise. The war in Afghanistan It didn't take him by surprise. He knew about it from the foundation of the world. The Bible calls him the one who inhabits eternity. Who inhabits eternity. He's in tomorrow. He's in tomorrow's tomorrow. He's in next week. He's in next month. He's in next year. Praise God, he inhabits eternity. He knows my rising up and he knows my sitting down. He knows my getting up and He knows my getting down, my coming in and my going out. He knows all about me. He knows my heart. He knows my worship. And if we're not very careful, we will seek God's hand rather than seeking His face. What is seeking His hand, Pastor? Warning him to do something. But he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Seek my face. If they'll stop asking for things long enough just to realize who I am, You spoke the word, and all the worlds came into order. You raised your hand, and planets filled the empty sky. You placed the woman and the man inside the garden. And though they fell, they found compassion in your eyes. Oh, Lord, I stand amazed. At the wonder of your deeds. Yet a greater wonder brings me to my knees. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Not for all the mighty things that you have done. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. You're all the reason that I need. voice my praise because of who you are do you ever just worship and praise him because of who he is do you ever say God I didn't come here to ask you to do something for me I just came here because I wanted to be with you I didn't come here God to try to talk you into doing something or providing some need I just came to say I love you and I appreciate all that you do for me and I praise you and I worship you and I exalt you and I lift your name up you feel like doing that this morning, I do would you stand with me just a minute before we're dismissed and would you just lift up your hands and instead of asking God to do something would you just say Lord I've just come to tell you that I love you And I've just come to your presence to tell you that you're the Lord of my life and you're the Savior of my life and that I love you and I worship you and I praise you. And I don't want this just to be an occasional time, God. I, I want our relationship and our fellowship not to be just a one time. I want it to be all time. In the morning, I want to praise you. In the night season, I want to praise you. When I'm at work, I want to praise you. When I'm asleep in bed, I want my life to praise you. I want all that I am and all that I ever hope to be to give you honor and praise. I want to seek your face, not your hand. Thank you, Spirit of God. Lord, I love you. Now for about 30 seconds, could you give him the best praise you got? The best praise you got. About 30 seconds. Come on. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise your name, Jesus. Lord, we worship you. We praise you. We exalt your name today, O oh God. We love you, O oh Lord. We're the people of your hand, O oh God. We praise you and we thank you, God. You are sovereign, God. And we love you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, Lord, we've presented you as the answer. And I pray that people will leave this place today with the right information to find your face. Lord, if the word of the Lord today brought conviction to someone, I pray, God, that they would find a place somewhere and say, God, help me grow past that. Help me mature past that, God. Help me leave that in my past and be a different person in the future. Thank you, God, for what you did for us today in this message and this visit with the Word of God. Lord, we ask you to go with us now to our homes and our families and give us an enjoyable remainder of this day. And bring us, O oh Lord, back together again in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.